and we encounter areas of our life that we still have fears about who we are, who God is. So when we have a service like this morning and the presence of the Lord is, is, is manifesting very strongly, sometimes we become uncomfortable in the presence of God. And that's, that's okay. That's actually uh, a pretty normal and right response at times. Because when, once his eyes of fire are shining into us and he's ultimate reality, he sees into our souls and we see things about ourselves that, that aren't like him, that are unholy, it can cause us to be afraid in his presence. Jesus has taught us that through the forgiveness of sins and just confessing those things and saying, yeah, I'm a mess here. He is merciful. He, he loves to take that and, and forgive us. He loves to take that and apply his mercy to it. And then we have a revelation of beauty, a revelation of a father who cares for us. And so as Christians, sometimes I want to encourage you guys that it's, it's not that you've chosen God one day and therefore you're, you're in heaven and, and all is good for you. And, and so you should expect always to have just a clean life. It's not at all like that. You've chosen to turn to Jesus today and you're going to constantly. So let me give you some verses from Hebrews that's going to help you understand this some more. So I, I spoke about it a few weeks ago, but I'll remind you guys again. Uh, after making purification for sins in verse 3 of chapter 1, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name that he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Jesus had a name that was greater than all others, that was his inheritance, but he didn't fully walk into that until he suffered and made purification for sin. And then at that point, he became able to sit next to the right hand of God. So there was his inheritance and what was offered to him, but then there was the life that he led. So his, if I could say it, his salvation or sanctification or his growing in grace, more accurately as the Bible described it, required of him his own life. And he progressed into that. In verse 14, are angels not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So again, this idea of inheritance is there. And in this case, it has to do with salvation. So this is for you and I. Salvation has been offered to you, and you said yes to the journey of it. You've been justified by God, so you can come into his presence. But this salvation is something that you're inheriting. And just like Jesus, you're going to grow into it as you more and more relinquish your life for his. So it's something, again, that's, that you've been offered and this is a process of salvation. This is a huge understanding that has been misconstrued in churches now, especially in America, for a long time. And it's really important that you guys get this. Uh, you know, there's a saying, once saved, always saved. That's not true. To put it gently, but also very succinctly, it's not true. Uh, once saved, you're being saved. You, you have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved as you continue on in Christ. Um, I'm setting this up a little bit uh, in this passage I'm about to read in chapter 2 because in a, in the author of Hebrews is going to talk about it in depth and some more, and we're going to do that in the months ahead, so I'll explain more of this later on, but I want you guys to hear clearly. Um, for the sake of your relationship with Jesus, do not believe that you're once saved, always saved. Think of it as much more adventurous than that. Think of there's an invitation to intimacy much greater than just a one-time decision, and then you get to go to heaven one day. But between now and then, you're just living your life, just trying to figure things out, perhaps even on your own. That's not at all the way that it was intended to be. That's one of the consequences of that, save, of that, that message, because it feels good. We want to know that, hey, I've been saved and I'm good forever, because at first we are, our sins were so great that I was afraid and anxious that I would be sent to hell or apart from God. And 
So I understand the point and the heart behind the message. And if you want to be assured of your salvation, you know, are you pursuing Jesus today? Yes. Oh, good. Well, then you're assured of salvation. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, you'll find within your own heart a desire for Jesus if you are his. You know, even if you've had three weeks, three years straight of benders, and you keep on going out, keep on making students, you know, silly mistakes, and yet you, you recognize that there's a better life for you, and you want more, and you feel terrible about it, but, you know, you feel guilty, you feel sad, you feel like you can approach God. All those are evidences that God is actually at work within you, even if it feels terrible. That's more of a pastoral message for now, but uh, you can understand a little bit of that. I want to get now to, uh, to where I want to go. So in chapter 2, we, we started it last week, and uh, we started it, and we emphasized that the message of salvation was verified by signs and wonders. And we went through the history of signs and wonders throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and showed that it's for us today. And so we prayed for Brad, and we believe for healing for him completely. We, put, we, we believe for many more things even beyond that. And so I'm going to get to the, the reason why that's there, like the how-to these things work today. Therefore, in chapter 2, verse 1 of Hebrews, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, this message of salvation, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So this is written to a, a group called the Hebrews, and they had in their Old Testament a very clear guidelines of a covenant that God had made with them, an agreement that God had made with them, that if you remain in this covenant, then I will be your God and you will be my people. Here are the blessings if you continue on with it. Here are the curses that if you do not. You know, so very clearly saying, hey, I'm, I'm God over here and, and I want you to have blessings. It's your choice though. Which do you want? Choose life or choose death? And so the, the God of the Old Testament, which is the same yesterday and today and forever, shows that as a, as a God and as a Father revealed in Jesus, he gives you and I choice. He, he gives us responsibility. He gives us the opportunity to grow into salvation, to grow into maturity. You can't actually have maturity if you're a slave. You, you can't have maturity if you're always a kid, not being able to choose right or wrong on your own. And so God gives you choice. He gives you responsibility. And with that responsibility, you have opportunity to grow into fullness and maturity. And that can be a scary thing sometimes because if you've always been a slave and always letting someone else decide for you, you've relinquished responsibility and assuming that they're the ones that are going to be responsible for your life. But you can't live like that as you're a follower of Jesus. You can't go into the fullness of who he is in that way. And so we are a community that we're, we're taking the, you know, the training wheels off and we're gonna give you a, we're gonna give you freedom here in this place. We're gonna give you choice. You're free to make a mistake. You're free to offend us. You're free to do all those things. We want that from you. Uh, we're also free to forgive you back and love you back and let you grow through that. So in verse three again, it says, it was declared at first the salvation at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. So again, the point of this is to reveal that Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. He is, he is the, the revelation of who God is. And so it's not angels to which God subjected the world, 
But it has been testified somewhere that what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little while, a little lower for a little while than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Plainly telling us that God has placed Jesus Christ as head of all things, and everything is under his feet. He is the king of kings, and everything else is subject to him. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control, but uh, the actual word in the Greek is the same word as subjection. So now in putting everything in subjection to him, God left nothing outside of Christ's subjection. Subjected. So all things are subject to Jesus. All things right now, seemingly, right? Except at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him for a little while while he was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. All right, so let's unpack. That's kind of a dense thing that's going on right now. So all things are subject to Jesus, but yet we don't see all things subjected to him. Last week, we prayed, believing God for healing for Brad, and we believe that he will walk in that, in the fullness of that. Amen to that. We experienced the power and the presence of God as it came. We experienced uh, the gift of tongues in the midst of us. And we experienced an interpretation of those tongues. That the presence of God had come upon us for power, for miracles. The presence of God had descended was the word, the, the, the interpretation. So we see God at work amongst us. And that's amazing. But yet we still don't see the, the fullness of it sometimes in our congregation. And this is what the author of Hebrews is saying to us. We don't yet see all things that are there under subjection to him. And there's multiple reasons for this. One is obvious, and that he hasn't fully come back yet. <laughs> Two is that he's given us freedom, which is what was reiterated to begin with. And so in the midst of our own freedom, sometimes we choose things that are apart from God. We, we choose unbelief. We choose not having faith. We choose lies. We choose rebellion. And as a result of those things, Sin and its consequences are attracted to us. Uh, the, the effects of them can remain in our lives. And it's not fun to think of it that way, that you have that much responsibility in your life. But it's true. We can grow past these things as we learn how to experience forgiveness and trust the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us. And as we do, we experience things like healing in greater measure. And just for a quick uh, overview of of healing, for instance. It tells us that, uh, that each of us has a measure of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4. While it says that in John chapter 3, that Jesus came in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so we can say one reason why we don't see the fullness of Jesus here is because there's only a, a partial measure. But it says also toward the end of chapter 4 in Ephesians, where this was revealed, that when the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists come together in unity for the building up of the body, the fullness of Christ will come as well. And so one reason why we don't see things happen this, the, the way that they did with Jesus all the time is because our body isn't yet formed. And I don't know of a church that is full yet, but here at a place at the table, we will pursue this. We will pursue coming together in unity. We'll pursue all the gifts being released. And we will see in, in faith the fullness of Christ come more and more uh, with us. We see that sometimes the reason why there's not healings and things like this is because lack of faith, according to what Jesus said. Now, some of us have great faith, but we still don't see things. We see, for instance, in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, that at the table of Christ, uh, there are some people that were taken in an unworthy manner, and so therefore sickness and death and these kind of things were coming upon the people. 
And so, you know, not having unity, not treating people well, and also not accounting for the body and the presence of Christ within us through sin and so also His grace uh, accounts for some reason why there's some sicknesses that are out there. It says in James chapter 4 that when we come to the elders, He will heal us, confessing our sins to one to another, which means that there is some part of sin and confession that has a, pl- a place within our own healing. And so these are all reasons why we can see that the fullness of Christ hasn't yet come. And these are things that as a community we're going to explore in the, the months and years ahead. But I want us to give it a little bit of a primer because sometimes we who are critical thinkers and curious just nat- naturally about God, we wonder well, why is that happening more and more and more like this? Well, here are some reasons why for it. But we want to believe God for all these things and therefore pursue things like holiness, pursue things like faithfulness, Pursue these things because we want to see the full man of measure of Christ within our midst. I mean, it's incredible. Like, Jesus is inviting us to become just like him in all the measure of the Holy Spirit. It's astonishing. He says, you know, a student's not above his master, but all those who are trained by him will become like him. And greater things than these you shall do. You know, I mean, if you have an ache and a pain and a, and a fear in your life, it's just an invitation to know Jesus in that place and grow in a way that you never had before. And so... This is what we are going to be seeking after. I want to get down a little bit more, and uh, I'm going to skip around if you wouldn't mind me doing this, uh, to verse 14. Since children, therefore, share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of these same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, remember that word, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, In the weeks ahead, we're going to go through chapter 2 in much more depth. But I wanted to get to the end of it to get to the beginning of it. So there is a word there in verse 17, at least in my translations, that says to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That word can be translated in some as reconciliation. For some, it can be atoning sacrifice. And so these are Christian words that if you are not familiar with the church too much, we might use, you might hear quite a bit. But for those of us in the English-speaking world in modern-day America, these words have no meaning to us <laughs> whatsoever. Atoning sacrifice, propitiation. You know, did, you, did you wake up for morning this breakfast and ask for some propitiation when you... You know, said hello to a friend, or you know, did you come here and say, "Hey, you know, how's your atonement going?" <laughs> no idea what these things mean, you know. And so it's helpful to go and look in some context for this. Um, the the word uh, atoning sacrifice or propitiation in this, if I was going to try to put it in today's language or vernacular uh, as accurately as possible, I'm going to say two words. One of them is to cover for, meaning like you know, hey, you know, your your buddy messed up, but I'll I got you, man, I, I got you covered. Or you forgot to bring your money, well, I, I got you covered. And a second word, and these things mean the same thing, but I'm just nuancing it for you guys, is reconciled. And so you go to your banker and you say, uh, my budget is, is this, I don't know how I'm going to make it work. And your, your accountant, you'll, he'll help reconcile your budget based on what you've spent and what you owe and then what you have in the bank. There's a reconciliation. And we also think of it in terms of, of relationship and friendship. You know, so I had a a bad day and I got you mad, you know, and so how am I going to, how am I going to make things right? Uh, and we need to be reconciled. We need to figure out a way that our hearts are going to be able to stay uh, connected. So this word atoning sacrifice is to, to make reconciliation and it's to cover for. 
and, and the Hebrew concept, which is what these authors are coming from, that's, that's the word most accurately that you can use, uh, in my opinion, in searching after these things in our context. It goes back all the way to the garden. The, the first evidence of uh, an atoning sacrifice was after Adam and Eve sinned and fell. Uh, as they were leaving the very presence of God in the garden, God clothed them with skin from animals. And it was the first form of a sacrifice to cover over what had been done. And I'm going to get a little bit, um, you know, uh, technical with you guys, uh, you know, uh, if I can for a bit. If you guys remember back in the story of the garden, after Adam and Eve sinned, God shows up to them and he says, why were you hiding? And Adam says, well, we were naked and ashamed. And then God says, well, who told you you were naked? And so beforehand, they did not know that they were naked. Some scholars and translators, uh, they, they believe that um, that Adam and Eve were, were covered by the, the presence of the Holy Spirit beforehand. Uh, you know, some get into some mystical traditions, I'm not trying to in this case. We don't exactly know what, what covered them, but they didn't know that they were, that they were naked, that they were different than God. And so their eyes were trained beforehand so much on God that they reflected Him. And so they were covered in a sense by His presence. They only knew themselves to be like Him. He is spirit, and so I would make a strong argument that what they were covered with was the, the nature of the Holy Spirit. But that, that's what they thought of as their own identity, was, was pure, purely, first of all, spiritual. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is desiring creation more than the creator. And then they saw their creation, their createdness, and they became ashamed. Because they chose, with the freedom that God gave to them, to eat of the, the, the created nature, they ceased to find a source, therefore, that was spiritual. And then they saw that they were naked and ashamed. Our source and the source of Jesus has always been spiritual. It's always been supposed to be God. We were born again from above. Jesus came from above as the Spirit had birthed into him. And so he was one who was covered in the Holy Spirit, anointed, smeared, completely covered. That was his first primary identity, and he knew that. He relates to us as humans, and so here in this text, he's getting into our skin, literally. He's actually taking on death itself. He's, he's getting into skin that had been corrupted apart from the Spirit. So he was going to take on death in the course of his life. He was doing that to atone for us, to, to be able to relate to us and with us. It's not like Jesus was walking around and, and you just saw light all around him, although for some of them they did. That's why sometimes... You see in the scriptures what Jesus would be walking around like in John 10 and the father would speak to him and he heard what the father was saying. But those who were further from God would only hear a loud boom. The, the, the more close you are from God, the more you see your own spiritual nature and can become aware of what the spirit's doing at all times. Some of you in, in the context of these meetings that we have, you can become highly aware of the Holy Spirit, his presence here. And some of you, you're not as much aware. And that's not, not trying to be an indictment of where you are. It's just an invitation that there's always more the more that you focus on the Lord and trust in Him, the more you become sensitive to the Holy Spirit and His presence, affectually, mentally, in all kind of ways. This is what Jesus came to show us and to bring to us. It's that a restoration of who we were in the garden. Because we didn't have uh, that spiritual nature any longer, we weren't connected to God in that kind of way, He had to cover over that sin. 
And so that was first in uh, Genesis chapter 3. Then in Leviticus, I'm getting now to, uh, to many of y'all's favorite book in the Bible, I'm sure. <laughs> if you guys are familiar with Leviticus, man, I would encourage you guys to just take a, take a long weekend and dive in and see what it's like. And if any, I'll just challenge any of you all, if you guys can read the book of Leviticus in three days, uh, you know, I'll give somebody here uh, 20 bucks, you know, and uh, come and challenge me and say, hey, I read it in three days. Like, I'll, I'll, believe, I'll believe you no matter what, and I'll, and I'll ask you a question. It's like, what, <laughs> what was that like for you? <laughs> Many scholars will think that uh, after reading Leviticus and studying it for so many years, uh, that they will understand that the reason why Leviticus is out there and training the people of God how to worship was to finally get them exhausted in their own self-righteousness. They cry out for a savior. God give us rest. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's dead on true. In uh, Leviticus, 7, Leviticus 17, they're talking about... Uh, you know, blood and what's in blood and in some place of sacrifice. But there's this interesting line and it's really important for us. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So this is getting to the core idea behind the whole sacrificial system that the people of Israel used in order to atone for or cover for their sins. Is this understanding from God that life is in the blood. Some of you may think that, and, and this is a, a teaching that I have believed before at times in the past, that God desires death and blood in order for there to be a reconciliation. That, that he's bloodthirsty, that he, he needs and wants death to, uh, to atone for our death. And that's not exactly what's happening here. And so I want to just gently ask that you guys put that teaching a bit on hold over the course of the, the weeks and months that we're going through this, because that's a common one that you guys have learned. The point of the death and the blood, when someone would present an animal because of sin to sacrifice, to cover over their blood, their, their sins, the point of that was to reveal to the person how serious sin is. It leads to death. It is, you know, whenever we, whenever we have a, a, a hurt in our life, we can feel it as pain. Whenever we do, you know, something in someone's life that, that breaches trust, that, that creates within them, uh, you know, a sense of disgust and a sense of separation, then, uh, then we can recognize that there is, there's something not right. There's something that, that, that is not as it should be. And that creates this, this, this sense of death. Like, it shouldn't be this way, this pain. Like, if, if our children are separated from us, or for whatever reason we're in a fight with a dear friend or spouse or our parents or whatever it might be, it just feels, it's hard to, it's hard to function. And we put on masks to, to cover over ourselves. And so we don't have to feel that pain oftentimes. But that's not the end chief goal. We, we want to be able to be so reconciled with one another. We can be free with our hearts with one another. But it feels like this pain is out there. So God says that there's life in the blood, and therefore, through the sacrifice of these animals, I want you to see and pay attention to the effect that your sin has on life. It causes death. And the greater the sin, the closer to the presence, the sacrifice uh, and the blood would be smeared. And so if you were you know, just creating like a normal sin, so maybe you, 
I don't know, maybe you cursed at somebody or did, did something that you weren't supposed to do. They would take the blood from the, the three different types of, uh, of sacrifice and they would put it on the, the outside court altar. If there was a great sin, like the whole of Israel sinned, then the blood would be put into the, the inner courts and close to the presence of God and smeared on one of the objects that was within the tabernacle at that place. If the, uh, the, the, the head priest who was representing all mankind uh, for Israel and for everybody, if he sinned, then he went into the very Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and made uh, propitiation or covered over and made the sacrifice and covered that altar with his blood, showing that, hey, you know, if you who represent the image of God to everybody is sinning, then you are so damaging who God is to everybody, then you've got to go to the very presence of God to make that blood spot, to show how serious this was. If you guys are kind of catching the idea, but I hope that you are, you and I are made to represent God. You, you look like him. You are made to, to shine like him. And when you do foul things to others, it distorts the view of God that they have of who he is in their own life. And most of us, I think all of us, uh, have had bad examples of other people in our life that have showed us who God is by their action toward us. You know, I, I can remember a coach in high school, you know, lovely guy, great guy. Uh, I had uh, run a track, meet, uh, a track race and, uh, and, and, and finished just third place. Second place was qualifying the state, but I'd, 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 uh, it was a relay race and I had caught up to the second place team. And right there at the finish line, I just completely gave out. I set a school record for the time of the race, but I, I, I just literally fell short. I fell across the, uh, the finish line and, and cut and bruised myself and then began to throw up for the next 10 minutes. And I had a race uh, like half an hour later, 45 minutes later, the way that they planned it wasn't great. And I was running that race and I just had nothing left to give. And I was just, you know, just like trying to get through and it wasn't having a great, a great race. And my coach just looked at me and he cursed at me. He's like, you know, David, get the bloop, 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 and start running faster. And he just was yelling at me all angry. <laughs> it's like, I've got nothing, you know. But it was, a, it was a view of God that this man was offering because he's made the image of God. And here's an angry God that's disappointed that I'm not giving a fuller effort in the, the midst of a, a deep place of weakness in my life. And, and later on, I had to go before my Heavenly Father and say, Lord, there's an imprint of you from this man that's not true. Uh, when, whenever I get into this place of weakness, there's this temptation that there's this angry voice that's gonna be you know, ridiculing and cursing me if I'm in a place of weakness. And I had to go before the Lord and be like, hey, that, uh, that guy, I, I forgive him for giving me that view in that place. But I didn't know who you are for me in that place. Like my, the last imprint I had in, in a place of just deep weakness and exhaustion was that voice. Who are you for me now? And, and that's how we begin to, to walk out life. You let someone into your life. And, and they get a little bit closer to you than anyone else has ever been, except for that other person. You know, maybe it was a parent. And the last time someone was that close, they had said something to you or done something to you that represented God poorly and hurt. So when we discover that, this is why in marriage, you know, things are going great. Things are going you know, wonderful. You've got the, the neurochemicals the first couple of years or so, and then all of a sudden they begin to wear off, and you're like, wait a second, there's a, there's a place of vulnerability that I don't like that this person has now in me, and I don't like how they're treating me in that place. And it's like a reminder of something that we've experienced before that was ungracious and unkind. And we begin to have difficulty. The only reason why the difficulty is there is because we haven't yet learned how to take that to the Lord and receive his face in that place, either for ourselves or for the other person. And that's just normal Christianity. You know, you have been given an heir of salvation. You are an heir. 
And, and you said yes. Now this journey is going deeper into the presence of the Lord and taking those words and those faces that have had in the past been to you a bad representation of God and now transforming them. And so then you become more like Jesus in that place. And so this idea of atonement goes throughout uh, the Old Testament. Uh, for, for all you Bible nerds out there, there were uh, five different types of atonement. You know, there were two for Thanksgiving, and there were three for sin. And there was different types of animals. The bigger the animal, the, the more serious the sin, typically. But, uh, but there were two types of atonement that were just telling God, thank you so much. You know, hey, I, I just want to let you know that, that this life is, is, is precious. I want to give it to the priests. I want to give it to the people as a feast. We're going to have a feast about it. Um, and I just want to remind you how serious I take sin in this moment of Thanksgiving. I don't have any sin. But that you have provided a way for us to have atonement, atonement and propitiation. Thank you. And so the sacrificial system, while to us might seem barbaric, to them was a grace because it kept the presence of the Lord in their life. At any time, they could go and make a, a sacrifice for anything that they had ever done. And I, I'm telling you, if you guys had that as an option, which thank God we don't have to, you would second guess making simple decisions if you knew that it was going to chop up, you know, your baby lamb friend over here. And, you know, you're going to have to go before the priest and see that thing die. It would affect you. And so that was the main purpose of it. It wasn't to appease an angry, bloodthirsty God. It was primarily as an object lesson to show people, hey, this, this matters. God said that this sin would lead to death. And look, it, it, it is. And it will for you and everyone else. Because listen, we get together. The more that we get together, the greater the numbers of people that we get together. We fight even greater numbers to the point where we're going to create war together. And so we see that. And if you're just honest with yourselves, you know, that, that's human nature. That's humanity as it is. We, we have been warring with each other uh, for a long time. And so here in Hebrews, we are getting to this idea of atonement, of Jesus being the better cover-upper. And so you guys have tried to cover up yourself with leaves. You've tried to cover yourselves up with Facebook and makeup. You guys have tried covering yourselves up with clothes or jobs. Fantastic. Uh, you know, and, and maybe for a season, you, you need to figure you're going to do that. There's a better way to cover yourself. There's a, there's a better revelation of who God is, and that's in Jesus. You know, again, this is the whole point of this book of Hebrews. So Jesus has the ultimate revelation, the best, the, the preeminent, the prominent, and and not just against Judaism, and not just even against even Christian forms of uh, of finding God, but your own religion, and you have your own religion. Anything that you trust in apart from God is your own personal religion. And we all have that. We all discover areas where we're anxious and, and not yet secure in God along the way. And so whatever those things are, praise God. You know, find those things that you're covering up, whatever the sinner you might think it is, and ask Jesus to be the one to cleanse it. There are... Uh, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to just briefly touch on some things, and then I feel like I'm going to change direction here in a little bit. Um, One thing that's important to remember in verse uh, 9 of chapter 2, Jesus, he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This sets a foundation for why it is that you can go to Jesus for anything because in every way that death would affect you and me, there's the literal death, physically. 
in addition to that, there's all the uh, impacts of it. There's fear, there's sorrow of, of all magnitude, there's, there's grief, there's unbelief. All the effects that death itself has had upon us, Jesus tasted those things for you. Uh, to cover over, so this is how it functions, because he who is God and perfect tasted all these things. Sin was placed upon him. He walked through it all. Because of this, it transfers all of it now into his account. And so if you want to go and, and understand kind of what reconciliation means in another way, like if you and I go to a restaurant together and I forget to you know, bring my wallet, well, who's going to pay the bill? You know, so I'm so sorry. I forgot to bring my wallet. Would you please cover for me? And uh, the person was, might say, well, I, I forgive you. Certainly you're okay. But then the, the waiter comes out and they say, well, you've got to pay for this. The restaurant owes, you know, you owe the restaurant money. And someone's got to pay for that bill. And, and your friend might cover for you. And hopefully they'll cover for you. What if you do this multiple times of meeting with your friend? Maybe like 10 trick times you forget your wallet. There's, there's the, the physical debt, but then there's also the relational debt that's over there. When Jesus stepped into this, he took on every form of relational debt that there might be. He tasted all of it. Betrayal, rejection, sabotage, cursing. I mean, whatever you've experienced this week, that's, that's exactly how Jesus experienced life when he was here on this earth. And he took that on himself. So that when you go to God and say, hey, listen, forgive that person for their debt. You're only able to do so if you can receive something back that you lack because of that debt. And that's what Jesus now provides you on the other side of the cross, which is the resurrection, healing, salvation. And so that's the function through the cross of atonement gives us, therefore, access to salvation, the release of death, and things like healing. And you know, the prophetic words, the gifts of the Spirit. All these things are there now because of what Jesus took on himself. This is, the, the, this is my engineering mind. Like, how does that actually work? Life is in the blood. Life is in Jesus. He showed all of us how precious our life is by God dying for us on the cross. I mean, you, uh, another way of saying it is like this. Uh, whoever you're, you're most angry at, you know, you're going to blame them for whatever problems. Well, you know, but then it was that, that person's dad that beat, that, that, that beat them. Does that give you compassion for them? Yeah, but then I'm angry at the dad. Okay, all right, well, that dad's dad, you know, beat him, was abusive, and the mom was also manipulative and abusive. Are you going to blame the dad? Well, no, I'm going to have compassion, but I'm going to blame the dad's dad. And you can keep on going up like that all the way up until you get to Adam. Are you going to blame Adam? Well, you know, yeah, but, but who let the snake in? And then, and then God's like, okay, all right, all right, blame me. And then I'll put my son on the cross and you can blame him. And, and you, you can. That, that's the point of the cross. <laughs> all humanity, all sin was placed upon him. So he represents every issue that's ever been out there. And he's perfectly God. And so you say, Lord, you know, how can I blame you though? And you're like, I know. You look at the innocent eyes that are in Jesus. You're like, I, I can't do that. What am I going to do? And then you look at Jesus saying, please, 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 please. Let me take that. Let, let me be the one to bear that. Blame me in this. You know, give it to Jesus. When you're forgiving someone, it has to go somewhere. The bill has to be signed by someone. 
It goes on to Jesus. He took that debt for us. He took our death for us. And so in a sense, because sin was placed upon him, you are saying, Jesus, you are worthy to take on all my sin. So in a sense, I'm blaming you. He's innocent. And so because he's innocent and we blame him, it disappears. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's reconciled because he was willing to take that. Is this making sense or is this going to question this? All right. So it's okay to be angry with God until after you're angry with God, you recognize that he's been innocent and good all along. And then you repent. <laughs> you know, you, you ask God into that place of your heart where you, you have no one else to go to for that pain and you open it up to him and then he shows you who he really is all along. He's never been a slave driving, harsh slave master, bloodthirsty God. He's always been a good father represented by Jesus, wanting always to forgive at all times. God does get angry, and we're going to talk about that. There is a judgment to come, and we're going to talk about that. But I need to say this also on the front end. The, the, the revelation of God is in Jesus Christ, who gave everything for us. Um, I'm going to stop on that point, because I, uh, in our prayer time this morning, I uh, sensed that the Lord wanted to kind of give a, a change of direction for some things.